we've kind of steered away from that SEO route of taking a keyword like big data, for example, which maybe it's relevant for our space in that we work in, in the data space and we work with companies who are processing large amounts of data. If we rank number one on Google for big data, I'm sure our traffic dashboards would look great. They're probably not going to see any uplift on the things that really matter, like trials and opportunities coming into the sales team and pipeline generated self-serve revenue. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to fall into that trap of getting lost in creating content for the wrong reasons and just generating traffic for the sake of generating traffic. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs, who I'm so proud to have as the very first sponsor of this podcast. I use their product literally 10 times a day for keyword research, backlink building, and tracking my content as it moves up the rankings. If you're interested, you can check them out for free. Just Google Ahrefs Webmaster Tools to find a suite of free tools for auditing your site, analyzing backlinks, and discovering new keywords. It's genuinely worth checking out. It's an absolutely dope SEO tool, and they support creators like me to keep doing shit like this for free. They're such an awesome company. Okay, enough. On to the episode. Hello and welcome to the How The Fuck podcast. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting to Edward Ford, Director of Demand Gen at Supermetrics. During his time at Supermetrics, Edward and the team grew the company from 10 million annual recurring revenue to over 50 million. They did it without a single piece of gated content by optimizing multiple demand gen channels for high intent leads. They're such a cool company. And fun fact, while they have over 120 salespeople now, they got their first 5 million without a single salesperson. In this episode, we kick off with a chat about Supermetrics' growth story, how they did it, what channels they chose and why, before diving into the role of SEO in this journey. You're going to want to stay around for the last 10 minutes of the episode, where we deep dive exactly how to write a great how-to guide for SEO that converts readers to customers. As always, head over to thefuck.com, that's T-H-F-X-C-K.com, to get this week's premium playbook, which is a deep dive into how to write great product-led SEO articles that convert readers into customers. And we'll look specifically at some of the Supermetrics articles, we'll break them up, we'll look at how they work, and we'll see how you can copy those. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Edward. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me. Great. I came across your amazing LinkedIn post. I've been following you for a while, actually. And then that one LinkedIn post really grabbed me. You guys have just passed 50 million ARR at Supermetrics, right? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks very much. Before we dive into the story of what you've been up to and how you got there, it'll be good to get some context. Often so many people share advice without the context, especially on LinkedIn, and that's a huge problem. For some background, like what does Supermetrics do? What's your business model? What kind of deal size are we talking about? Who are your customers? That kind of thing. Yeah, really what we do is, is just enable marketers and marketing teams to, to access and work better with their data. So if you're a performance marketer and you need to bring all your performance marketing campaign data into a Google spreadsheet, you can just pick it up from Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, Google ads, all your different platforms and bring it into a report. And then we bring that into spreadsheets. BI and dashboard tools, data warehouses, and so forth. And we have both self-serve and sales-assisted funnels. From a business model perspective, you can buy lower-priced tiers and packages directly through the website or then through the sales team. And a big thing for us as well is the expansion piece, being able to bring people in on, on a smaller size deal. And then as they see the value and data needs grow, and as you develop on your marketing journey, you need more integrations, you, you are considering a more complex data stack. And then in terms of customers, so agencies is a big, big customer segment for us, as well as 
in-house marketing teams across the board, like across different verticals, across B2B, B2C. So then there's a lot of things you can do with the product, which is great, but it also brings a lot of challenges in terms of use cases and positioning and so forth. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but that's a sort of short summary of what we do and, and the kind of business model behind it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a super useful product and it seems like people are absolutely loving it, right? <laughs> when did you join Supermetrics? Like how early in the game? And So early-ish, I joined in January 2019. So at the time of this discussion, that was over three and a half years ago, coming up to four years. And when I joined, there were 30 people in the company. We were sub 10 million ARR. There were three people in the marketing team. Roughly, I was like the fourth member of the marketing team. We had three people in sales. So we'd only really just got started on the sales assisted piece. We'd got to about 5 million ARR without a single salesperson. So we'd really been driven by this product-led self-serve model. I would hire the first sales team members. And it's a very different company now. Over 310, 320 people, roughly. The sales team is much bigger than the marketing team now. We're about 30 people in marketing. Sales is around 100, 120 when, when everyone's counted up across the different teams within sales. So it's definitely a different company now than it was. And it's been insane to just be part of that journey and see what it's like to, to work in a company that changes and grows so much in that time. But really when I joined, it was, it was pretty startup-y, I have to say. Yeah, that's cool. And I think, I think a lot, that probably resonate with a lot of people. I think it's amazing for any marketer to work in a, in a company where marketing leads the show in terms of growth. No, yeah. I, I think a lot of people will be stuck in companies where trying to argue for marketing and trying to persuade yeah. value and how can we invest more in, for example, yeah. demand gen or like any kind of longer term like plays and things. Yeah, for sure. And I think this has been something that hasn't been an issue at Supermetrics for the marketing team. Because as you said, a lot of teams, maybe the first battle is to really educate internally about the role of marketing and what you're here to do. But as I said, we got to 5 million annual recurring revenue without a single sales team member. We had no sales team. So it was marketing and product working in unison, obviously with the, the rest of the team, uh, incredible support team, just on understanding the market, listening to customers, putting out a product, marketing it, and seeing how far you can take it. Mm -hmm. And then as we layered the sales team on top, it just really gave us the next avenue to, to grow. And there were so many customers in need of additional support or trying to buy more complex packages off us. So to be able to serve bigger clients with more complex data needs was great. But it's nice, as you said, that marketing doesn't have that problem. We're not stuck in the downloaded PDF ebook loop where you then just push people onto the sales team. But really now, even though we have MQLs and, and SQLs, which is something you don't have when you, you don't have a sales team, yeah. we're, we're pretty clear in terms of what that means, what it's marketing qualified and, and it's strong hand raiser, clear intent to buy. Nice. Yeah, that, that's not been a problem for marketing. It's been fun and it's nice to work in a company like that. It must be. So you have this like layer of marketing, which is bringing in people who are becoming product and then you layer on sales. Do your sales team do outbound or is it your sales team are mostly there to support the people through the journey who are already interested? Yeah, we, we do outbound now. Um, and have done for, for some time, but the majority of the sales team would be focused on either new biz. So working inbound opportunities that come in through the top of the funnel or then expansion, yeah. working with existing customers on renewals and expanding their use with supermetrics. 
and then we also have customer success managers at the very high end of, of our client portfolio as well, so that you'd have dedicated contact and support as well. But we also do outbound as well. And, and I think for, for marketing, that's also good in that it really forces us to think about the brand piece as well, because it's so much easier to do outbound if people know who you are, people are aware of you, people understand what it is you do and they know your they know they know the name. It's not just supermetrics. What what is that? So you don't get locked in on this sort of bottom of funnel demand capture play that if you don't have the outbound function, you're just really focusing on driving new inbound opportunities. But you gotta serve both ends, the creation and the capture piece. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's such a great point, actually. I think like the few things that you mentioned there is like things I wanted to pick up on. And like in that one LinkedIn post, you like drop so many intriguing statements that I was like, <laughs> okay, I got to talk about those. But like one of those, yeah, you got to 5 million ARR without a single salesperson. The other one I broke down is like, you never created a single gated ebook, white paper report. Yeah. As you mentioned again, that must, that must be nice not to get trapped into that. And the other part you mentioned was about rigorously measuring performance and tracking your important numbers and not hiding behind vanity metrics. I think those are like three rare points, like really interesting points. If you like go back to those earlier stages, like when you joined, what became your key demand gen channels and like, how did you find them and how were you growing them? Yeah, I think what's important when you ask these questions is that all the decisions we made were made within the context of our own situation and the, the position we found ourselves in at that time. And also based on the fact that there were, there were just four of us. And you know, when you look at the modern marketing playbook and what a modern marketing team needs to cover for, there's a lot of different areas of marketing mm-hmm. across the board from brand content, inbound demand, performance, product marketing, sales enablement, as you, if you, if you have a sales team, which was at that time growing as well. There's a lot to kind of focus on. And so what we did was just really try to understand what are the channels and the areas and the kind of tactics that we think are going to drive results for us right now, where, where we are. And I think it was also just based on the fact that there was really strong product market fit. And that had been proven through the growth of, of the numbers. When I was chatting with recruitment process, it was just really interesting to see the growth and, and just how crazy that had been, which as a prospective candidate, you kind of see that there's something really strong here and there's a a clear need in the market for this. So probably one of the big channels we focused on was marketplaces. And again, this is tied into the business model and, and just the nature of the product in that I said earlier, we tap into a lot of different marketing platforms, which we call data sources. So you can pull marketing data from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, HubSpot, Salesforce and 70 to 80 more. So you have all these marketplaces and and ecosystems that you can tap into. And a lot of what we did was focus on just optimizing for these marketplaces and understanding how they worked in our user journey. And then really it was coming back to, to more traditional marketing channels as well. And I think the other two big ones would be paid and organic. Both of these are probably what I would call more demand capture channels in that it's people searching with some level of intent. And the reason we made this decision is not that people were just super, were just searching for super metrics connectors or branded search. There was obviously a lot of people doing that, but there were a lot of people searching for ways to solve a problem they had 
which we could solve. So if someone was searching for Facebook ads data to a spreadsheet, they're not indicating any intent to purchase Supermetrics, but our product could actually solve their problem very easily, which in turn could then generate demand for Supermetrics. So whether we were bidding on certain keywords in Google ads, or if we were creating content, which would then look to capture that traffic organically, it was really around a lot of product-led content. It was very how-to. We knew that none of the content would go viral. No one's going to share it and, and be like, look at this amazing article on how you can do this super niche use case of connecting data sources in an Excel spreadsheet. But if you're searching for that, that's exactly what you're looking for. And so a lot of our content, and we can maybe dig into this SEO piece a bit more as well at some point, is, is really on like high intent, long tail, relatively low search volume content, which we can really bring the product in naturally without selling it in any way. A lot of template-based content, if people are looking for like a Instagram report dashboard, like Instagram ads dashboard or something for a marketing team. Those were probably, if I had to pick three in the early days when we were figuring out where we should invest in and put budget and time, marketplaces paid and organic were probably the, the, the big three. Nice. Okay. That's really interesting. I've seen the last startup I worked at, I would have said those three as well were what was helping us grow. That and a podcast actually, but that was, that was much slower. Yeah. Repeatable. Yeah. Yeah. We brought that on a bit later, but yeah, that was, yeah, that came a bit, a bit afterwards. Okay. That's super interesting. Before we move, I want to like dive into <laughs> that, that content side and, and also the, yeah. a little bit about the pain, but what we do, I think you said something interesting a little bit before that, which is about product market fit. I think it's important for startup marketers to think about actually, because I've, I've definitely worked for companies without product market fit. And I've felt like you could do your best marketing and still you're really struggling to see growth. And I'd love to know how you find a company, how you really work out past the founder yeah. telling you, founders are always going to tell you that the growth is amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're, going, we're going places. How do you really find out if someone's a product market fit? Yeah, I think this is a super good point. And I don't think it's something that's discussed that often. So it's great. We can kind of open it up a bit here. I think a lot of people at the moment are saying like, you know, don't work for a CEO or a founder that doesn't get marketing. And, you know, we kind of spoke on that, that you then just need to educate why you're here and justify your seat at the table. And that's one thing to watch out for in, in any recruitment process, particularly if you're going to be early stage, because you'll be working with that person quite closely. But then the other thing is product market fit. You know, you could work for a CEO who like totally is bought in on the marketing playbook and, and is all for like supporting you and, and the team you have. But if you're trying to market a product that there's not really any demand for, and even if it's something new or it's a new category, um, even after that, if there's really no need or, or no demand, as you said, you could do the best marketing you've ever done. You could just be crushing it every day, but you'll be really, really struggling. This is also something I was really conscious of looking at when I was meeting with Supermetrics and thinking what my next move could be. And in terms of how I did that, one thing might be, maybe it's unique to Finland, but in Finland, it is required that all companies would have their financial data publicly available. So you can actually go onto a directory and search for any company that's listed in Finland, and you can go and see their financial history, turnover, revenue, profit margin, number of employees each year for like the last four or five years. Wow. So I could go and look back and see 
exactly how much money they made and how much profit or how much did they lose. You can very quickly see from that search, is there something there? And then from there, you can do some digging into, have they raised, have they not? That will also give you some, some understanding of do investors see if there's fit. But I'm also a little bit wary that if, if there's a lot in, then it could also be a risky place that you have a little less freedom if you're really tied into, to an investment. So that's another thing. And then I think that you need to speak to the founder you need to speak to the team when you're recruiting. And I would just ask really straight up questions in terms of where are you at in terms of revenue? What was profitability like last couple of years? What, if it was positive or negative, why, why not? What do you forecast for this year? What's retention rate like? What are your churn numbers like? That will also give an indicator of the need or the fit, but also gives you an understanding of the health of the business, which I think is super critical when, cool. when you're joining early stage. And that's amazing for the candidate, at least the, the Finland publishes all that data. Yeah. That's sort of thing that's very hidden, at least here in the UK. Those are really great points. Hopefully people feel like comfortable enough to just have asked those like frank questions and get the right answers. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you ask those questions and you don't get an answer, that's also a sign that, you know, is this really an open place where you mm. are going to be aware of what's really going on? That That's a big part of our DNA at Supermetrics. Everyone knows this, the state of the business. It's the first thing in our monthly all hands, how we're doing. So I think it's also down to the culture as well mm-hmm. of the company. Yeah, definitely. And I've worked places that purposely don't fundraise because they don't want the investment. They don't want to be held to investors. And then there's other places that are desperately trying to get investment all the time, but don't have the the numbers. There's all these different dynamics that could show you some things. Hello, lovely Lister. I just wanted to interrupt this episode, very annoying, I know, to plug something I actually think could be a lot of value to you. And that's the premium membership of How The Fuck. It's $8 per month. And what do you get? Well, apart from a lot of radiant love from me, well, every, every listener is getting that anyway. You can expect the highlights of every episode of the podcast. I'll also explain extra bits, point out things like common pitfalls of following the strategies you hear on the podcast. Um, I also share templates, like recently I shared a 100-point checklist for updating your older content and frameworks for things like how to create conversion-focused blog posts. You can check out the content that's already there at the How The Fuck website under the premium filter. And uh, yeah, just do it, you know, see what you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode, by the way. It's freaking great, isn't it? Anyway, back to the guest. Cool. Okay, let's move into like the SEO portion and the content portion. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned all those, the how-to content and the kind of demand capture side of things. Some of it, I guess, is SEO, right? Did you have like other content distribution or was it mostly your writing for the keywords that exist out there? Predominantly, most of our content efforts, I would say, were were really driven around specific keywords and really driven around organic acquisition. So that was the, in a way, the distribution and acquisition thinking. And that, that I think is an important takeaway for all of this in that I've seen a lot of marketers and marketing teams create content around something that they think would be interesting to their audience. And then they figure out how can we promote this? You know, can we promote it through social or can we like distribute it through some other way, some newsletters, or let's maybe try and rank for a keyword and boost it with a bit of paid. But really you need to decide first what the distribution is, and then you build and create for that specifically. So for us, it was really driven by that. I mean, we did do some other things as well, occasionally, particularly around employer branding or some of our own lessons. So when we went from 10 to 20 million in ARR, we wrote an article about some of the things we learned from, from that journey, which again, wasn't built for search, but 
it was shared a lot on LinkedIn, within communities, particularly within the B2B SaaS space, got a lot of podcast interviews on the back of that. And I think it just helped raise awareness for us as a company in key markets and, and help with recruitment, particularly on the commercial side within marketing and sales. So there's different reasons why you would create content and you just need to be really aware of what that reason is before you start writing. Nice. Cool. I think marketing to marketers, like it's a great place to be sometimes because they love growth stories as well. Like telling yeah. of how you got there is part of your own, your own branding. And that's, um, yeah, hundred percent. Cool. And also your point on like SEO and the distribution part, that's a hundred percent something. I think a lot of people in the startup marketing world should consider because you don't have to continuously distribute your content if it's keyword optimized, like it's every month. Yeah. Even if it's just a hundred highly relevant people, you don't have to hunt for them every time. It's rolling distributions just happening. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's a sort of like putting money into an investment account that you might put $10 every month into that account. And okay, at first it's $10, then it's $20, and then it's, you get the first bit of interest back. And over time it starts compounding. That's the way I like to think about content that you built for organic. You know that this isn't just going to give us an uplift for the next two to four weeks. Yeah. But if we've created a good piece of content and if we've done our work and found a, a good keyword to target, that could then compound and grow over time. And then you build this collection of articles, which together are bringing in a regular stream of traffic, but it's also good quality traffic as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we've, we've kind of steered away from that SEO route of taking a keyword like Big data, for example, which maybe it's relevant for our space in that we work in, in the data space and we work with companies who are processing large amounts of data. Mm -hmm. But if we rank number one on Google for big data, I'm sure our traffic dashboards would look great. They're probably not going to see any uplift on the things that really matter, like trials and opportunities coming into the sales team and pipeline generated self-serve revenue. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to fall into that trap of, of getting lost in creating content for the wrong reasons and just generating traffic for the sake of generating traffic. But if you really take a thoughtful approach to content and keywords and organic, you can build a steady stream of predictable traffic over time, which will keep paying you back. And there are some articles that we wrote, really simple articles on like how to move data from A to B back in like 20. 17, 2018, even before I joined Supermetrics, which have consistently delivered trials on a weekly basis. So I think it's uh, probably one of the key learnings we, we took from our approach to content. Cool. I love that. Especially in a small team, in an early stage team, focusing, trying to rank for very competitive, very high volume stuff can be like a, the wrong move. Yeah. Especially with trying to actually move the needle on the metrics that really matter to your team those might not be the best place to start you've mentioned a few on the like types of content you've created like how-to content how did you go about creating that content i mean first of all did you map out all the problems that your product solves and then start there so we obviously know from speaking to a lot of our customers and seeing how customers use the product what are the common challenges our customers have? And as marketers ourselves, we also understand this, particularly our performance marketing team, in terms of the challenges of, of managing your performance data, content marketing teams, in terms of understanding 
how content and, and in particular organic rankings are, are changing and, and performing. So we had a good idea of what those challenges were. And then combined with keyword research to understand what people are actually searching for, we would then find keywords and, and opportunities that we thought just made sense and kind of went at it from that angle. A lot of the time it was challenges we've had in the past. So we had internal marketers uh, from the team just writing about how we've solved a certain problem or how you can do this. And one example would be how to run a content audit for SEO. So our content marketer who had done this herself basically just documented the process of how she'd gone through a full content audit of the Supermetrics blog and how you can do the same using Supermetrics as part of that process to just automate a lot of the heavy lifting that, that you would then need to do. And then we also have some really, really good guest writers and, and people who reach out asking if they could write on the blog. And we get a lot of those, but we're also quite thorough in terms of figuring out who could be a good fit and, and who would have the authority and, and also the depth of knowledge because we didn't want to just put out something pretty thin and not too value adding. We had sort of building good standards. So we were lucky that we were able to find some really good writers who wanted to contribute as well as freelancers as well. So we also had a good pool of freelancers who were specialists in specific areas of marketing and working with the Supermetrics product and could share their knowledge as well. So that's kind of how we approached creating the content. Nice. Okay. I think I have before, there's uh, a few questions. The first one, actually, just at the last thing you said, that's interesting that an interesting point on the quality of the content you create, it seems like you got experts, specialists, people who've had that problem before to actually write the content. Is that true, do you think? Or is there any times you had freelancers just write loads of content that wasn't necessarily their own experience? No, I think most of the people who we worked with, whether it was in it, people internally writing, obviously they would have experienced it. But, but the freelancers we worked with, we handpicked specifically because we knew that they would have specialist knowledge in a certain area. So one more recent area uh, we have moved into is e-commerce data. So basically being able to bring in e-commerce data from Shopify, Shopify, Klaviyo, and so forth into your reporting and analytics tools, which is something that we didn't have much experience of in-house. So we found a, a great freelance writer who is a, an expert and specialist within e-commerce and marketing to share her advice and tips on a lot of challenges that we saw prospects and, and customers had in that area, which was something new to us. So we had the standard set from a lot of the earlier work we'd done, and we wanted to maintain that as we went into a new space, which for us at that point was e-commerce. We were pretty strong in terms of vetting. Yeah, that's a really great approach to be like, we know the market we want to move into, who, who knows that well, let's get them as the writer. Yeah. I think a lot of, like that's the whole point. If you write content, even if it ranks well, if it doesn't build brand affinity in any way, because it's rubbish, then it's all pointless. So. Like it's a great approach to it. So on the other part, regarding the actual kind of how-to content, and I guess I'll share some examples of anyone listening. I got I'll share some examples in the posts and stuff. Was it very much product-led content or was it like how to solve this problem? And then at the end, oh, by the way, we can help you do this automatically or something or... Yeah, if you use screenshots of your product as a step-by-step to doing it. Yeah, it would be product-led in the sense that it wasn't just stuff on the end. Oh, by the way, you can also do this with Supermetrics. It would be more a sort of walkthrough of here's how you do it. Mm. And then there would be a part when you would need Supermetrics to actually pull that data into whatever the use case was for that specific post. We used a lot of screenshots for the entire process, whether it was using Supermetrics or, or another part where you wouldn't need the product at that point, but really just quite helpful and informative and 
yeah, very step-by-step how to do something. And it, it worked pretty well for us. I can imagine. What advice would you give to people who can't do that? Because there's a, obviously there's a lot of products that don't have that kind of ability to walk through all these different areas. What do you think? Is there always room to bring it in? I guess in a way, there must be something you could bring a product in. Otherwise, I guess, what does the product do? Is there then, then the product market fit that we spoke about earlier? I think there are probably opportunities at the sort of mid to bottom of funnel where you could bring the product in. That's quite a natural way of how to do something. So I'd probably consider looking at those options. And I think a big part of it is around keyword research and not getting too lost in looking at the volume of of certain search terms. We found that keywords that have been estimated to have about 10 searches per month globally can actually generate a lot of like decent traffic, like way, way more than that. So kind of look for those and look how you can bring your product in, in a natural way, because I think that's as well a good opportunity to just position your product within the context of the workflows that you're part of, because that's typically what happens in B2B SaaS. Your product is used in certain workflows, whether it's marketers, whether it's HR, finance. So find those and it then moves from, in a way, pushing to saying, this is how you use the product within the context of your daily work. Mm-hmm. And then people can understand, okay, I understand this product and I, I understand the value. And I would then consider, is this something we should look into further and, and should we purchase it? So there's going to be opportunities to do it. It's just a case of figuring out how you can bring that in. Great advice. Did you always have corresponding, say like landing pages for use cases that you push them to? For the main ones, yes. Okay. There are so many use cases, so many different ways you can use the product, which again is the, the nature of middleware compared to say a pure SaaS product in that sense. But for the major ones, yeah, we do have landing pages with links to relevant articles, templates, advice on how to use the product within the context of that use case, the benefits and so forth. Very cool. One question I'd like to maybe finish on because I'm aware of the timer going down. <laughs> um, okay, two more questions. One, is there anything that you did that you wouldn't do again around SEO and, and demand gen? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I think most things we did, they were done for a reason at that point and wouldn't necessarily not do them again. Maybe change the way we did them or obviously you learn how you could do things in a slightly better way. But I think for the most part, a lot of the things we did made sense at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And is SEO still playing a part in your growth? Do you think you maximize what you could get out of it? And how, how has your strategy changed now as a bigger company? Yeah, I think it's continued along the same lines. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity still to take from SEO. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of keywords to write for, a lot of use cases to create content for. So now that we're growing and have a bigger team, then you have more resources to work on that. Uh, and so really it's about scaling that as the team grows. And then we'll see what happens to the overall content strategy. I think we're going to go a little more top of funnel, mm-hmm. which now we're at a point where, where we need to do that. And it makes sense where's the right way to do that. I'm not sure. We've got like podcasts and social and other channels. So we'll probably focus there. But I think for the most part, organic will continue as is and, and will continue to be a big part of what we do. Definitely. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like, we've been so interesting talking to you and I think really, really valuable points about where to focus on an SEO for everybody. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. That's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time you invested in this episode. Um, a few next steps. Of course, we have the premium community where you can read this strategy 
basically you can download it and keep it forever so you don't have to listen to this episode again or make notes um also come follow me on linkedin i'm posting like lots of little extra bits and things around the podcast and and things i've learned in seo so come follow me and if you don't already obviously subscribe to the podcast subscribe to the newsletter thank you